Good morning. Glad to see you here this morning. Um, we are walking through what's known as the Lord's Prayer, and we're trying to allow Jesus to teach us about prayer as we do that. I hope this is an encouragement to you to pray, and also I hope that you gain some practical handles for how to do that as we walk along. Um, this, is a, this is a beautiful day. I mean, even in the middle, midst of June gloom. I'm sorry, I looked out the window and I thought, wow, that's, that's nice. I got, got to the parking lot this morning and parked and looked out over the valley and I thought, this is, this is all right. I am very grateful that God allows us to live in this place. He lets us live in the country we live in where there's freedom to worship Him. And that's, sorry, but that's what came to mind and that's what was going on in my heart as I looked out over the, the valley from the hill that Church in the Valley meets on, which is, we've almost always met on a hill. But if the clouds weren't there, you could see the mountains, which tell you the hill is in the valley. So we still are in the valley, even though we're on a hill. But I, uh, getting back to what I'd like to talk about, um, Jesus, in Luke, Jesus mentioned, <clears throat> actually his disciples asked him, one of them asked him how to, how to pray. They asked him if he would teach them. They'd, they'd seen him pray over and over and over again. And so he uh, shared what's become known as the Lord's Prayer, or which is actually the disciples' prayer. He was giving it to them to give them categories in which to pray the big picture of what we should be praying about, the things that are on our hearts. Not necessarily that we repeat the same phrases over and over again, uh, but this is what Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, which this is another place where he mentions this same pattern. He doesn't use the same words, and I think he did that on purpose because he doesn't want us to just chant these words. He wants our heart to be in it, which is how he tells us to start. He says, this then <clears throat> is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Prayer is a conversation with our loving Father at a heart level. Jesus reminds us of that. And then he says, hallowed be your name. We enter God's presence with praise and thanksgiving. We learned that in Psalm 100. And Jesus is showing us how to do that here. This is how we tune into God. We, we praise him. We thank him for the good things that he's doing. And we want his name to be hallowed. Holy is his name. We want the way that we live to, to reflect. Those of us who have decided to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we bear his name. And we want the way that we relate and live, we want that to reflect the, the holiness, the glory of the God that we know and we're connected to. Then Jesus goes on, your kingdom come. This is how we connect with God. We connect with God by setting our heart on his purposes. And wherever we are, if you're a citizen of the kingdom, you become a citizen by deciding to follow Christ as boss, by making him king. If you've done that, then wherever you are, you're on point for the kingdom. In other words, in your family in your neighborhood, in your work, at your school, wherever you find yourself, you're on point 
And one of the key things you can begin to pray is that every part of your life would begin to experience the, the benefits of serving under the king that we know and love. Because it's good, there's good stuff inside the kingdom of God. And so, as you find yourself at work, you begin to pray for the people at work that God's kingdom would advance in their life. And through us, then, we can make a difference. Through our prayers, we, we can make a difference wherever we are. We're, we're on point with God in that way. Um, then your kingdom, or your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we struggle with God's will we, because we have a will. This is what it means to be human. We, we wrestle with, you know, we know what God wants, and here's what we want, and this is the way we want to do it. We know how God wants us to do it, but we want to do it our way. And so we struggle and we wrestle. But a part of our everyday prayer life should be to settle on God's will. When you settle on his will, you, you have a settled peace in your heart. Many, many times. God, whatever. Whatever your will is, however this turns out, whether it goes my way or not, I want you to be honored. I want you to be pleased. And I pray that your will would be done. This is how we get connected with God. And that's how we stay connected through the day as things crop up. Things are coming at us. We're dealing with stuff that's going on. Lord, Right now, I got, this is what I want, but would you do what you want? Would you be pleased with the outcome here? Can I say the things? Can I think the things? Can I do the things that would be in line with your will and accomplish your purpose? In the next line of our model prayer, Jesus teaches us the importance of asking. Very important, pretty simple thought. But a very important one. Matthew 6:11 says, "Give us today our daily bread." And in this phrase, Jesus is teaching us to ask for all kinds of needs. The way this is written, it's, it's not just talking about, "God, would you put bread on my table today?" That's part of it. But the idea you gain out of this is that He wants you to ask for all kinds of, of needs that you have, physical needs. Relational needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. As they come up, he wants you to turn those over to him. And Spurgeon, who is a famous English preacher, said, Whether we like it or not, asking is a rule of the kingdom. And, you know, there's something in our adultness. <laughs> we just, do, we get, do we have to ask? Can it just show up? I would like that. Not to have to ask like a child. I, don't, I wouldn't want to have to humble myself. Oh, do I have to humble myself and ask? Yeah, there's, there's some good stuff that happens as we learn to ask. God wants us to ask. He delights in our asking. And he wants us to depend on him for everything that goes on in our life. That's part of our growing learning process here as we live our lives. And we will never grow up and grow beyond asking. This is a part of it. Asking is the core of a relationship between a child and their father. And so Jesus says that we're to ask, give us today our daily bread. Later on in this message, I mentioned that 
this is this teaching on prayer is tucked into the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew five through seven. You can find it there. But uh, Jesus, you know, had a crowd gathered. He's on a hillside and he began to teach them about the kingdom of God. And this teaching is tucked into this this whole message that he's giving. And then later. So later on in the message, he says this in Matthew seven, seven through eleven. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you. A better translation a more accurate one in the way this is written in the original language is keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. In other words, we need to be persistent in our prayers. I personally would prefer that prayer be like a vending machine. Put a prayer in, you know, out comes the baby Ruth or whatever you wanted. It would be great. But in reality, in the world we live in, because of some things that happened way back at the beginning of time, there is a mix of human freedom and divine influence. So in other words, we have the freedom to choose, and yet God is sovereign and guiding history. Now, I don't, I don't know what that mix is. I don't pretend to. Theologians argue about the degree of that mix. But the fact is, there's a mix between your freedom to choose and God's influence in, in your life. And here's one thing about God. God will never violate that mix. He, he will never force you to obey him. He will never force anyone else to obey him. And so what that means is our prayers make a difference somehow. I don't know how. I don't know. God has given us this privilege so that if we'll set our heart on what God wants, his purposes, his goals, his kingdom, and then we begin to ask that those things happen that his blessing comes as a result of people knowing him and following him. He allows our prayers to make a difference. So Jesus tells a story at one point, and the moral of the story, the, the crux of the story is Jesus told this story so that you'd keep on praying and never give up. So there's this aspect in our prayers that we need to be persistent. It doesn't work like a vending machine because Human beings are created to have a real relationship with God. You know, if you have to do what he says, you're a robot. It's robotic. I'm not going to break into the dance. The robot just thought I'd... I thought about it there for a second. But I'm not. We're, we're, we're human beings, our hearts pump... We're flesh and blood, our hearts pump the blood, and we're alive... God gave us this will, and we can choose whether or not we, we obey him. So that means that our prayers somehow make a difference. Jesus goes on. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then... Though you are evil, know how 
to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God already knows what we need. Jesus mentioned that earlier. He already knows we need bread. He made us. He made our bodies to require bread and water. But he delights when we ask for things. Like one man said, love loves to be told what it already knows. It wants to be asked for what it longs to give. It's the same with God. He wants us to ask. If you were one of Jesus' disciples and you heard his teaching on how to pray, when he got to this line, more than likely, when he, when he said this, give us today our daily bread, more than likely your mind would go back to a story from the history of your people. Way back to uh, the story of when the Israelites were being freed from slavery in Egypt. You can read the story yourself in Exodus 16. Um, <clears throat> but some amazing stuff happens to, to free the Jews from Egypt. They were in slavery Horrible, horrible manual labor they did day in, day out. They were oppressed by the Egyptian government. And then God decides that this is the people he wants to bring out of Egypt, and he wants to use them to show how good he is. If they'll follow him, he'll do that. Now that's, that's what he's trying to do through the church. Um, but this is the people, and some amazing stuff happens. In the early parts of Exodus, uh, you, you should read about it if you haven't lately. It's amazing. There, there are ten plagues that God brings in order to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. You might have seen Charlton Heston, you know, do this. Um, but there, there's, there's these ten plagues God brings, keeps, keeps the Israelites from experiencing those. He led them, once they come out of Egypt, he led them during the day by a cloud and by a pillar of fire at night. So he's leading them visibly in these ways. They, they leave Egypt. Pharaoh changes his mind. He sends his army to hunt them down. So they're being chased by the, the Egyptian army. They get to the Red Sea. The Red Sea parts. All of the Israelites cross on dry land. Two, two, two to three million people. This is not just a little crowd. Two to three million people. They cross. And as the Egyptians come into the sea, it closes on them and they're drowned. They've just seen this. The Israelites have seen these things go on. God has freed them miraculously from slavery in Egypt. They get out into the wilderness and they start to get hungry. Now, what happens when people get hungry? They get cranky. Okay, have you ever been on a road trip? Dad gets cranky. When there's not enough food or you're in the desert, you get hungry, you've got a hundred miles. Oh, no. You know, so you get a little testy. Well, they did. And what they do is they get out there and they begin to grumble and complain. Oh, life was so much better in Egypt. Now, that's that's a that's a real matter of perspective. <laughs> they were slaves doing hard manual labor every day. But. We had pots of meat, and our pantry was full of bread. And so that was a great day when we were slaves in Egypt. I want to go back. And so they're grumbling, complaining against Moses. God hears this, which he hears all of our grumbling and complaining. And out of his graciousness, this is what he does. In, in Exodus 16, 4 through 5, 
I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare uh, what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So God provides this bread from heaven every day for two to three million people for 40 years. And God, God did this. Because he did it for them so that they would remember how much he loves them and how faithful he is to them. And then uh, he, he told them, actually, after he did this, one guy did the math. This is five million quarts of what became known as manna every day. Five million quarts every day for 40 years. God rains down from heaven. And he did this to burn a lesson in their mind and ours. You you find out in the New Testament, the stories in the Old Testament are written for our instruction so that we'd be encouraged and we wouldn't give up. There'd be hope. And so he did this to, to, to burn a lesson in their hearts and minds and ours as well. God wants us to depend on him for the stuff we need every day. And that should be enough. Because some of the Israelites, they were instructed to take about a quart, an omer, about a quart every day and eat it. Don't leave any over. Some of them, of course, left some over. Maybe they gathered a little extra just to make sure they had enough. It turned to maggots But before the next day. Except for that sixth day when God made provision for them to take a day off. They didn't have to go, they didn't have to go um, gather it up on the seventh day. Because God wants us to rest one day out of the week, so he provided for that in that way. It's really interesting stuff. I, I wish I could see some. wish they still had the jar that God told them to save. Because God told them to save one jar so that the generations, the future generations, would remember what he had done. They called it manna, which means what is it? Because it, the dew would evaporate and these flakes would be left. And one guy called them frosted flakes. He liked frosted flakes. But um, the dew, the, these, these flakes would be left. And it says they tasted like wafers with honey. So they really were like kind of like cereal, but a bread-like cereal that came down from heaven. But God told them to keep this jar so that they would remember what he had done. This is what he does in our lives as well. He, he answers. He wants us to ask. Give us today our bread, our daily bread. Give us, God, would you meet these needs of mine? And he also wants us to remember. He wants us to keep figurative jars of the stuff that he provides. He wants us to write it down. Because just like Israel, he's using you and I to build a story of his faithfulness. And so as we have needs, we ask him. He provides out of gratitude we remember. We write it down and remember. He's building a story of faithfulness in the lives of those who decide to live for him and cooperate with him and trust in him. That's what he does. So God loves it when his children depend on him. That's, that's all in that line. Give us today our daily bread. He wants us to ask. And asking does some really good stuff in our own heart and lives. First of all, 
Asking helps us deal with anxiety. Later on in this chapter, uh, well, actually later on in the sermon that Jesus is delivering, the Sermon on the Mount, he spends a, a significant amount of time dealing with worry. And basically in verse 25 of chapter 6 of Matthew, he starts out by saying, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. Don't worry about those things. And he says, your father knows that you need them. And then he concludes that portion of the message by saying, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's, that's what Jesus is trying to get across. That's the lesson that the Israelites were supposed to learn in the desert, in the wilderness. That's what Jesus means by give us today our daily bread, enough for today. And that's what he wants us to learn. If you, if you follow that comment in Matthew 6, and 34, it's exactly what you see in the prayer. Set your heart on God, his kingdom, then ask for the stuff you need. It's the same thing in Matthew 6.33. Set your heart on God's purposes and leave the rest to him. He will not rip you off. He will not. Asking helps us to deal with anxiety. You just offload it on God as you're dealing with stuff. Offload. God, here it is. I don't know how this is going to turn out. Help me to do the right thing, and I'm going to leave it with you. And as often as the anxiety comes, you keep turning it over. God, God helps us with this. Another thing asking does is it, it helps us gain appreciation for him. God wants us to learn to take every concern to him in prayer. And every concern of yours and mine is of interest to him. Sometimes what we do is we wall God off by, telling, we, we, by not telling him everything that's on our heart. God, that's all right. I got this. I can handle this one. No problem. And we're not, we're not including him in what's going on. When you treat some of your concerns as unimportant to God and you don't talk them over with him, then you create distance in your relationship with him. When you do take all of your concerns to him in prayer, what flows from that is a tremendous amount of appreciation for what he's done. God, here's what's going on. Would you help me with this? And he comes through, and you're grateful. If you never ask, you're not grateful. You're like a demanding child who depletes the joy out of the relationship. That's no fun. You put in a lot of work. Pretty much in general, children aren't going to be grateful until they're sometime in the future. <laughs> I don't know what the magic number is. So you can't really expect the child to be deeply grateful for all the work that you're putting in to take care of them. But a demanding child, that twists you up inside. That depletes the joy. How does it feel to do a kindness for someone and then you find out it was expected? Oh, They saw it as an obligation. That you were supposed to do this? That's the definition of dysfunctional. You're in a family that expects stuff from you and they demand and you're obligated. There is no joy in that situation. 
There isn't. And it's the same with God. So asking creates this gratitude and appreciation. That's why God wants us to do it. Jesus has taught us in this prayer to set our hearts on God's kingdom and his purpose and refuse to demand our way, but to set our heart on his way. And he taught us that. Then he showed us in the Garden of Gethsemane how to surrender to God and allow him to have his will and way in our lives. Something else, anything more than what we need is an expression of God's bountiful kindness. His provision and his love and his kindness. How full was your plate at dinner last night? Could you have seconds if you wanted to? This is evidence of God's love and kindness to you. Another thing that asking does is it helps us grow in dependence on God. And this is right where God wants us. I like what Mother Teresa said. She said, you will never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you've got. And I think that's true. What God does is he keeps bringing us to this place through pressure. Pressure comes into our lives. And he brings us to the place where we can decide, am I going to completely rely on him? Am I going to do this his way? Or am I going to fall back to my old strategies, my old ways of doing things, and sort of try to weasel out of this under the pressure? Am I going to find my own relief valve for this pressure? This happens over and over and over again in our lives. The pressure comes, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, so that we will rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So this pressure keeps coming, and it comes. God wants the pressure to lead us to a place of dependence on him so that we're relying on him. And wherever your pressure point is right now, take your concern to God and depend on him for that. I I don't know what it is. Maybe you're depressed and disappointed that something didn't go your way. If you're in the middle of your life, it's a possibility you're depressed and disappointed that life didn't go your way yet. And turned out the way you think. Take, start taking that to God. One concern after the other. Lay it before him. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. Take that to God. Parenting woes. Maybe you're struggling with your kids and you're worried about something that's going on. Turn that over to God. Maybe you have work issues. That's where the pressure is, or finances. Or you have a business decision that's just weighing on you. You need to turn it over to God, or you're lonely. Whatever it is, wherever the pressure is, God wants you to take that to him and lay it before him and ask him for help with it and ask him to use it for his glory and purpose in your life. Jesus wants you and I to depend on God for any kind of need that we have. Spiritual, physical, emotional, relational, whatever it is. And as we learn to depend on him and ask him, we grow in our faith. Because God does not rip us off. And we, we, sh- we have a tremendous amount of appreciation for what he's doing. The Lord wants us to bring our daily needs to him. That's what he's saying. Give us today our daily bread. This part of the prayer brings God into the ordinary of our days. And that's intentional. 
Sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking, you know, God is only concerned about spiritual stuff and religious things, and all the rest of life I need to handle, or he's really disconnected from that. God wants to be right in the middle of every part of our lives. We have to invite him in because he's a gentleman. He doesn't force obedience, and he's not going to force his way in. So that's a part of this prayer as well. Whatever we're dealing with at any given moment is important to God. And he wants us to take it to him. Here's an example for me. Whenever I lose my keys, I go through almost the same process every time. I start, start out by looking where did I put my keys. I start retracing my steps. <clears throat> Hopefully I find them. If I don't find them, my frustration level goes up. Any capable human being would not have lost these keys. They would be able to find these keys. Pretty soon, everybody in the house realizes I've lost my keys. I'm walking around looking for my keys. And after I get to a certain amount of frustration, probably the Holy Spirit says, you know, Randy, you can ask where these keys are. So I say, okay, God, I just I give up because there's important keys on here. I need these keys. God, would you help me find these keys? I know that you know where they are. And sure enough... It comes to mind, and I find the keys. But I have to go through, for me, this is a microcosm of how we go about living our lives. We have something we're dealing with. We, oh, I should be able to handle this myself. You know, no, no need for God. So we start handling it. We get frustrated. It ramps up, ramps up. Finally, we get to a point of desperation, and we say, God, would you help me with this? And he provides the help that's needed over and over and over again. So my key is a reminder right here of, of that fact that I can, I can take every need. I don't need to wall God off from what's going on in my everyday life. He wants to be involved. So we're to take our concerns to him. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says that. Don't have anxiety. Let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God will, will fill your heart. And mind. This dependence on God that you see in Philippians 4 <clears throat> is what Jesus means when he tells us to pray for our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. We pray for our concerns. We pray for the needs of others. Ephesians 6.18 says that we're to pray in the Spirit on all kinds of occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. To be alert and to keep on praying for the saints. As people come to mind, we're to pray. One, one man said, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to pray. That is very true. Praying for others is a way to love them. We need wisdom. We're to pray over our need for wisdom. James 1.5 says, if you lack wisdom, God will give it to you. Uh, as you ask in faith. As you ask, trusting him. The moment you get confused about what to do, that's time to pray. You wonder what to say, what, what, how to respond. God, help me say the right thing. Help me do the right thing here. Would you give me the wisdom to know what's right and wrong? We could pray over our desire for prosperity. You know, we all want life to go well. That's a legitimate desire. I love 3 John 2. Dear friends, I pray that you may enjoy good health. And that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. This is a good thing to pray for the people you love. This is something I pray for the people on my prayer list. 
And, and when you pray, be specific. Detail in steps what you're asking for. I encourage you to make a prayer list. Um, write down your requests. And some people write down their requests on one side of the page, leave a space on the other side so they can write their answers down on that page. You make two columns on a page to do this. I divide up my list into five days of the week. That's what I do. And I'm praying for specific people on different days of the week. And I'm praying specific things for them. Um, I pray for my immediate family every day. This is an example of what you could do on Monday. Pray for your church family. Tuesday, pray for the people at work or school. Or pray for the projects that are going on at work or school. That's your day to pray for those things. Wednesday, pray for government leaders. We're, we're told to do that in 1 Timothy 2. Pray for governmental leaders and for maybe the world mission of the church, everything that's going on. Thursday, pray for those who haven't yet committed their lives to Christ that you care about. You want them to know Christ. Pray for them. Pray for new Christians that God would strengthen them in the faith. Friday, maybe pray, pray for extended family. It doesn't really matter what you do on which day, but... Look at the different arenas of your life and divide that up. Then you know at least one day a week I'm going to be praying for the people in that arena. And, of course, as concerns and things come up, you turn those over to God as well. As people come to mind, you pray. As things are going on, as the pressure bears down on you, you turn those things over to God in prayer. But be specific. Because if you pray a general prayer, you get a general answer, and you're not quite sure, was that the answer? You find yourself trying to make things up, you know, or or make connections that, I think that was an answer. But if you pray specifically, then you begin to see God come through in specific ways. And that's that's a good, good thing to do. We have a role to play in this world through prayer. God has given us, because of that mix, of human freedom and divine influence, somehow he has given us this privilege to make a difference in our world through prayer. There there are some next steps that you may want to take today. One could be to memorize Philippians 4, 6. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Just to remind you, okay, I'm anxious, I need to turn this over. Another step could be to start asking and refuse to demand from God. Start asking for the little stuff. Don't wall him off, but ask him. And then finally, to pray over one or two specific needs for today or for tomorrow. Maybe it's on your mind as you're starting the week. Turn those over to God. Pray for some specific things that you want to give to God and ask him to work through and in. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the instruction you give for the way that you guide us in this life to accomplish the things that you have given us to accomplish, to fulfill the purpose for which you made us. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for adopting us into the family. And God, I, I ask that you would help us to learn to depend and ask and rely, not on ourselves, but on you. You're the one who raises the dead. You hold eternity in your hands. You are eternal, God. And you, you have made a way for us to live on with you forever. So help us to learn to rely on you, the one who loves 
and cares so deeply. May we return that love and honor. We ask for the help in doing this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.